0: Hey folks, before we get started, I just want to let you know about my upcoming book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. If you're looking for a job or you think you might be looking for a job in the future and you're trying to up your mobility and meet new people and things like that, this book walks you through the whole process. Go ahead and check it out. It comes out on November 20th. It'll be on Amazon and you can find it as The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job.
1: everybody, and welcome to Views on View. I'm Elizabeth Fine, Senior Front-End Engineer. And today on our panel, we have Ari Clark, UI UX Engineer at Liquid. Hello. And Ben Hong, Senior Front-End Engineer at GitLab. Hello. So today is a panelist episode where we wanted to talk about an important topic to the development community at large, not just the View community, which is mental health.
0: The thing that I believe most about top-notch developers is that they're constantly learning. Whether you're out watching videos, whether you're reading blog posts or books, whether you're out writing open source software, you're always out there learning how to be a better developer. And my friends at Thinkster and I teamed up and we put together a show called DevEd Podcast. You can find it at devedpodcast.com. It's run by Joe Eames, who you might know from JavaScript Jabber, Adventures in Angular, and Views on View. And they have terrific conversations about what it means to become a better developer, to learn how to do development, and the ways that you can learn. So, if you're looking for inspiration and ideas about how you can do better and learn better as a developer, then go check out the DevEd podcast.
1: So, Ben, what do you do in your free time, meaning hours outside of your development time?
2: Uh, yeah, that, you know, you would think that after being on this for a while, I'd have an answer to that, but I spend so much time with open source and community stuff that it's actually really hard for me to answer this question. Which is, I
3: mean, I think that is your answer, though, right? <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: I don't have free time, and I spend it on coding. So, um, I
3: mean, but that is your free time. You just you're choosing to give back to the community with that time, which choosing, God, yes. <laughs> making me feel bad.
2: <laughs> uh, more like putting out fires, and then there's just fire after fire. Uh, You know, that's one thing I know from my end, it's not so much about like, you know, it's, it sounds really altruistic, like I'm giving back to the community all the time. But sometimes I think developers, you know, those feelings, there's just this Mm -hmm. like fear of missing out that FOMO effect. So whenever someone's like, hey, do you want to help out with this project? And you're kind of like, oh, that project could be big. I'm kind of okay, yeah, I'll help with that. And then someone else like, can you help a little bit with this? And the next thing you know, you have like, all these obligations and social contracts that you're like, oh, I don't want to let anyone down. And next thing you know, you don't know where all of your time's gone.
3: So you're saying you have a hard time saying no, Ben.
2: <laughs> yes. That is a problem. <laughs> yes. Saying no and fear of missing out are two things that have plagued me, especially in combination with the imposter syndrome. Oy vey.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. I can relate to that. I've never had that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Share your wisdom with us already. Just
1: yeah. kidding. <laughs> Ari, what about you? What do you do in your non-developer time? Well, recently I've been (laughs) desperately trying to
3: prepare a talk for my first conference talk. Yeah, no comment on how that's going. Other than that, I absolutely make a point to do frivolous things. I like binge watching TV and playing video games that I've played a million times before and just hanging out with my husband I have to say, like, I look at people like Ben, and I, there's there's a degree of guilt associated with it. But at the same time, I'm like, but sanity, sanity. I'm
1: useless without that. <laughs> and that's kind of part of the problem, I think, of what you were describing, Ben, is a lot of times we look at other developers, and there are these powerhouse developers that, you know, they're creating open-source projects. They have amazing day jobs. They're giving talks at conferences, and they're mentoring people and running communities. And you just think, you know, man, I need to step it up. But at the same time, <laughs> it's important to look and respect your own your own mental health, you know, and give yourself a break from give yourself a break from the developer world if that's you know what you need to be productive.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, well, Elizabeth, what about you? What do you do <laughs> in <use> your spare time? <laughs> um, you know, someone asked me this the other day, a friend of mine, she just texted me. So just curious, what are your um what are your hobbies? And <laughs> I thought. Oh my God. It was the most, I was so anxious and I spent half a day thinking about how to respond because <laughs> that's the, I was oh like, gosh, that's okay, crazy. what are my hobbies? Um, well, coding, <laughs> reading about coding. And I thought I can't answer with that. You know what I mean? Like she wants to know what my, what my real hobbies are. Clearly you're not spending
3: much time on dating sites <laughs> or you'd have that nailed down.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I like hiking and oh, dogs. The beach. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: I thought I'm about I was,
1: I was gonna say, oh, I like hiking, but then I was like, do I really like hiking? Someone <laughs> asked me to go hiking. You know, she she is she actually asked me to go hiking at 7 a.m. on a Sunday and I said no. So I thought, okay, I can't answer with that. <laughs> I'm so glad you're honest about that because man,
3: so I live in Colorado and you're a pariah here if you do not like hiking. Like, it is literally a miracle I met my husband on a dating app here. Because, yeah, like, I finally had to just put the disclaimer in my profile. I don't enjoy hiking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's good to just be
3: honest. Definitely. I feel like there's this difference between what you, what we actually do in our free time and, like, our aspirational free time. Yeah,
1: aspirational <laughs> Right. <hobbies. laughs>
3: like the types of hobbies that we believe would make us an awesome person. And we're like, in my head, I would like to do that. So that counts, right? <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, then I, when it comes down to it, you're like,
1: what I actually like to do. That? You know, what's funny though. I, I've met a lot of developers and they're, you know, people I would think of as really good developers and really successful in their career. And they've said to me things like, I don't code in my free time. Like I only code at work which I don't know how that, I don't know how they do that because I feel as though the front end community changes so fast that if I'm not reading constantly, I will miss things and be behind on my day job. But it just kind of goes to show that you don't need to spend all of your free time keeping up with, you know, front end news and front end tech and practicing this or that to actually be successful in your career. Yeah. I'm not somebody who has side projects, if I'm being honest.
3: Again, it's one of those like aspirational hobbies, (laughs) but yeah, I I think that there's this sort of unrealistic expectation of what time outside of work spent, you know, keeping up looks like, like I actually feel like I have a pretty healthy balance of how I approach learning in my spare time. So I have a long commute and one thing I do is I listen to a crap ton of podcasts (laughs) So like, it's this sort of, you know, I, there's not much else I can do during that time. So I might as well use it to sort of try to absorb new information. And honestly, it can be difficult to really like grasp, like extremely technical things uh, on a podcast because I'm a visual learner. So, but it at least exposes me to ideas. And so like when the time comes where I need to grab for some tool, I have an awareness of what tools are available to at least explore. And the other thing I do is I'm pretty active in the VuVix and Slack. And I think just having a community of developers around you to just sort of bounce ideas off of and sometimes not even talk about anything related <laughs> to development. <laughs> I think is is another really great way to to sort of keep up with things mm-hmm. and keep and you know feel like you're not a, a total failure as a developer because you're not coding.
2: Yeah, on the topic of keeping up with things, I used to have a big problem with that. And I don't know about you all, but I have this bookmark list of things I'm supposed to read later on. And yep. it only grows, <laughs> it never shrinks. Yep. Um, and at one point, a buddy of mine, Hung Su, told me um, there's really two types of information. There's uh, just-in-case information, which is what a lot of us try to do. We try to hoard information, right? We try to learn everything just in case we, you know, we do this. But this is obviously exhausting in a time where the internet has infinite number of resources. So he says um, he taught me to focus more on information, like just in time information. So when I need it, learn it, then keep moving on. And because um, it's sort of like how keeping up with news, right? If I try to keep up with the news, it's exhausting. It's depressing, but I kind yeah. of shut that off. And then the really important stuff, just it'll bubble up naturally because it's that important. Someone's going to tell me some headlines going to catch somewhere. But if I actively try to keep up with it, it's it's just, oh my God, so much. <laughs>
3: Oh yeah, no. That trying to keep up with news or just like I don't know, exposing myself to any significant amount of news, the anxiety is real. I can't like. I would think I was like t- twenty or something when I when I realized I was like, wow, this is actually just really bad for me because I used to like my screensaver was like you know an RSS feed of headlines, <laughs> and I was <would> like, <sighs> it was just, especially because it was a time in my life where I was I was really struggling with my mental health. And I was like, you know, just like laying on the couch, like just in a haze of depression and like the screensaver clicked on. And I just, it was some like horribly depressing headline about, you know, somebody doing something awful to a child. And I was like, I, I don't need this in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to cut this out now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The really important
1: things they'll, they'll bubble up. They'll get to you. If it doesn't, and it not matter. <laughs> when you hoard information, I think the general tendency is you're not going to remember it anyways. Oh yeah, no, I never. Then you're just gonna, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I've gone through periods of time where I have done, you know, what you were just describing, Ben, where I've got a really long reading list and I'm hoarding, hoarding, hoarding information. I'll spend, you know, half a day just reading articles, and I don't remember any of that stuff because it wasn't applicable to me at the time. Yeah. And so it just went in my brain and kind of got lost and is probably gone now. Whereas if I had actually needed to apply it to something, I would have more context to remember it next time.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that concept of just-in-time learning. I guess like I, without realizing that's what I was doing, that's generally the approach I tried to take is, yeah, have an awareness of what's out there, but you don't need any like, okay, I guess it's like breadth of knowledge versus depth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think it's extremely valuable to have um, a wide breadth of knowledge, but only go deep on a topic when it yeah when you need to
2: like i know a prime example for myself is as most people probably know Vue 3 the entire core library is written in typescript but i have not done any typescript on a project and shame no, you do, yeah like, you know, like i feel guilty right like oh i like, really should be doing typescript you know this is but the reality is as my projects don't we're not ready for that yet so, you know i'm trying to find ways to make it happen, right? so maybe get my team to do TypeScript so that I can do that just in time learning, but you know it's it's easy to feel like you gotta you know especially with all the work I do with the Vue core team, it feels like it's an obligation I should learn it, but you know
3: <laughs> okay ben i I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you off the hook here because I don't think you should know it <laughs> here's what I do know, Ben, is that you know a lot about when it's the right tool. Why it's the right tool, why it might be the wrong tool. Because we've had that talk here on this podcast. Like the things that are relevant to you being able to use it, you have. (laughs) And in in all honesty, I personally didn't find it particularly difficult to pick up. Like I used it on a project uh, that I had like two weeks to do. And honestly, I only picked up the TypeScript part like five days before I had to deliver the project. So (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on it, but. Yeah. I know enough.
2: I don't know. I I think there's this fear that like, you know, I'll go to a conference one day. Someone will be like, yeah, you know, how's it working with TypeScript? And I'll like, oh no, they found me out. I don't know. (laughs) I just know what it is.
3: Yeah. no, Okay. I'm going to admit one particular topic I have horrible imposter syndrome about. Async await. I still don't know how to use it. I just use promises because I know how to use them. Because I don't know. I find the syntax confusing. All right. So if anyone else out there feels the same way, you're not alone. (laughs) (laughs) And now everyone is like, "Oh man, this girl knows nothing." Stop listening to this podcast.
2: <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not <true. laughs> I, I definitely don't use async await as much as I should either. Oh, I just like I
3: see yeah. everybody using it in like every example, but and
2: yeah,
3: actually, something that I recently realized is we end up with all these like buzzword topics, mm-hmm. like GraphQL, and like if you're just looking at like you know new blog articles, uh, et cetera, like any new content that's coming out, it would appear that the entire world is using things like GraphQL.
2: Which is so not the case.
3: Exactly. (laughs) You know, having mastery over, you know, less brand new technologies, like is still totally valid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to come up with solutions to using technologies that maybe aren't brands making new still have value. Right. So yeah, yeah, I guess it's it's that whole concept of JavaScript fatigue, where it's something new every freaking day.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think my policy is when there's something super new. Um, let's say when GraphQL first came out, like I made a point to at least understand generally what it was. So, yeah. for example, it's like an alternative to REST API, and it has this cool, you know, graph thing, and that, like that's all I learned. <laughs> and it wasn't until much later when like the lead architect at my team was like, "We're looking into alternatives to REST," and I was like, "Oh." Yeah, thing called GraphQL. I'm not an expert, but I can look into it. Yeah. Then that's how I like, you know, actually got some more hands-on experience with it.
3: Yeah, like I've never used GraphQL, but I would say I know a lot about its use
1: cases. So, from what we've been talking about, I'm guessing that you both suffer from burnout occasionally. Developer burnout. What's that? So what are some things that you do, Ari, to alleviate that for yourself? For me, one of the things I generally
3: have to do, and I mentioned earlier, I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts, but honestly, I have to cycle that. Like if I am doing that every drive, every day for weeks on end, it starts to feel very overwhelming. Honestly, too much of that type of information really can exacerbate imposter syndrome, (laughs) yeah because you're like, "Wow, all these people are super smart. Uh, what am I doing here? And so like sometimes i have to I have to not listen to podcasts for a while, but then I yep. find that if I do that for too long, then i I start like stagnating and just becoming sort of apathetic towards my work, and then I have to start again, so I guess a lot of it is just figuring out what I need when I need it, and also. Like, if you are fortunate enough to to work at a company that has like an unlimited PTO policy or at least a fairly loose PTO policy, I am not one to hesitate to just take a day off. Like, it, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I, uh, yeah, I cannot do this today. And if mm-hmm. I try to do this, it's only going to make it worse. So, I'm going to send an email and say personal day, which, I mean, we're being honest, like, th- I sometimes feel like shame and guilt in that because it's like, Oh, people are probably judging that, but people are going to judge you no matter what. You might as well be mentally healthy while they judge you.
1: <laughs> a lot of times I think to myself that shame that I feel towards myself when I do something like that is blown way out of proportion in my head. Because oh yeah, probably. When see, yeah. When I see someone else take a personal day, I literally do not care. Like yeah. I just... I'm like, oh, it's another Slack notification. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, it. like it's for you. So, Yeah. So it's, it, you know, you think in your head, everyone thinks I'm a Slacker. Everyone thinks I'm faking being sick. You know, it's just <laughs> not true. No one cares. <laughs> if anything, they're probably happy because it makes them feel better about when they need to take a personal time. And actually, um, you brought up a,
3: an interesting point when you said they're probably faking being sick. I only recently came around to the realization that a mental health day is a sick day.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) I agree Um, with that.
3: And like, yeah, I had to, I had to stop like, you know, trying to, I don't know, come up with some dramatized version of like events in my life to justify, you know, a personal day. Like mental health is is just as important as physical health. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the reality is I no longer say personal day. I only say personal day if it's actually that I need to help my husband take care of his mental health which is something I do because he uh, he has bipolar two disorder and my mental health is better if his is better. So to me, that's a, that's a totally valuable thing to do. But yeah, I finally, it was just like, I'm not feeling well today because I'm not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a mm-hmm. physical feeling. It can definitely be, I'm mentally not feeling well today and you don't need to give details of that or anything yeah. to say mm-hmm. I'm not feeling well. So Ben, what do you do to alleviate Developer burnout.
2: Uh, well, so seeing as this is a you know podcast, you're listening. Um, for those who don't know, um, I, I'm first generation Asian American. So one of the challenges for me is always this sort of belief that Asians can output a lot more than the average person. And so there's also these cultural subtexts. Like you know, Bruce Lee had this famous thing for saying, you know, there are no such thing as limits. You gotta breakthrough you got to work harder and so yeah okay (laughs) one (laughs) of them so it was like for me it's like there's always this this challenge of fighting against the natural current of just like no I'm not burned out I just need to push harder and I'll break past the ceiling like I got to grow my abilities there's some merit to you know trying to toughen it out but for me I think what I've had to do lately is really focus on the people around me and why I'm doing not, not about myself you know like being on a podcast with the YouTube for example it's just so inspiring and like sort of energizing to just Aww. remember that like it's not about <laughs> the code it's not about the project it's it's always been about the people and if you can vote like that for me that's always been good to just sort of pull myself out of the burnout mentality it's just to remind myself why I'm doing all of this.
3: I totally agree uh, especially in like the past I guess six or so months I have found that being a part of a community has helped tremendously. Even if, when it's just like having people to vent to <laughs> because like there's nothing worse than just sitting with like horrible negative emotions and like wondering, are my feelings even valid? I mean, just having people to say, no, it's valid. Like it helps you let go of that negative energy. So yeah, I totally agree that finding people to surround yourself with as a developer, I think is really key to to managing symptoms of burnout.
2: What about yourself, Elizabeth? What do you do to manage burnout?
1: I used to have a lot more burnout than I do now. Back when I started, you know, got my first developer job, working at a lot smaller company, which was very supportive, but also did not have the resources i have now like people to qa my work and you know proper project management so things used <laughs> <Sorry>. to be <laughs> i still don't know what that is <laughs> well you know being a developer without a project manager is oh extremely gosh. extremely stressful because mm-hmm. yeah. you have to mm-hmm. do all of that filtering yourself. And you know, what I used to do then is I just write myself a list. Then don't take this as an example because this was a bad <laughs> idea. I wrote myself a list of every single bug, every single task that everybody reported to me. And you know, as people would just come up to me at my desk and say, Oh, this has to happen, this has to happen, I just add it to the list. I just do it and cross it out and do it and cross it out and do it, and cross it out. And that was when I mentioned earlier before the show that I one time cried in the alley and then came back into work like <laughs> oh, nothing happened. Oh, that was during that time. because oh, I was That's totally understandable. So, yeah. I mean, I was just so overwhelmed and being a new developer, I was kind of creating bugs as I was fixing them. So, oh, well, I've never done that. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah. that hey, like?
1: I, I still effects? do that, but not nearly at the rate that I was before, especially, you know, working on being so randomized and, also QA yeah, myself. And when you're not given proper scope of it, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you end up having yeah, a lot of in- uh, unintended side effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what I learned from that is um, a couple things. I sort of do the same method where I set myself tasks for the day, but the list is a lot shorter And I come up with my own expectations kind of 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 how much I think I can do in a day. And I've learned that the people I work with are really supportive of that and they do that themselves. So that helps. I definitely do not put as much pressure on myself to go home and do dev stuff as I used to, which helps. And the last thing that I do is I take the pressure off myself to know everything. So the other day I saw, I think it was a... A free code camp article, and the article had a diagram of what you think you know, which is this tiny, tiny dot inside this huge circle of what you think everybody else knows. So, you. <laughs> this is something that the longer I've been a developer, the more I've come to the realization that while the diagram still looks the same, where what I think I know is a tiny, tiny cross section of what I think everybody else knows, I'm more and more accepting of that. I really am starting to let go of this intense pressure to feel like I have to know the answer to everything at every meeting, to feel like I have to do everything perfectly the first time, or I have to know every new technology like we were talking about before. This is starting to just completely become irrelevant to me because what I realize is even talking to senior developers, they have the same diagram in their head where everything that they think that they know is a tiny little dot and everything that they think everyone else knows is a huge circle outside of that. It's never going to change. And the only thing you can do about it is take the pressure off of yourself. And since I took the pressure off of myself, I've found that people still think the same thing of me. It's not like people think I'm stupid now. It's not like people think I'm inexperienced now. In fact, letting go of that, I think makes you appear more experienced because you're not coming up with Answers that are completely made up that everybody can.
0: Answer.
1: Wait, what? <laughs> I don't do that so, in meetings. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I never
3: talk in like vague terms, just to you know let people interpret what they think is the truth. <laughs> never do that.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, doing that just puts more stress on you. I know you you people have expectations of you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's been a a theme sort of with what all of us have been saying, and that's self-imposed expectations that Mm -hmm. are completely mismatched with the reality of expectations around us. And also the reality of what we can actually do (laughs) realistically. (laughs) And I mean, like even imposter syndrome, like honestly, that's where that comes from is this feeling that you are not meeting your perceived external expectations. And so I think as, as I've gotten older, because, oh my God, I was a hot mess when I was younger. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I'm not still a hot mess, but uh, less messy, less messy. <laughs> I think self-forgiveness has been one of the most critical skills that I've learned. You know, being okay with my past choices because it's not like I can do anything about them now. You know, forgiving myself for maybe not, not always knowing exactly the right thing to do because nobody does. But also being mindful of what lessons I can take from my mistakes mm-hmm. and just, you know, hope that I have the mental presence to apply them in the future. I would like, honestly, I am so much mental, like my mental health is just so much better than it used to be. And a lot of that is, yeah, just sort of ac- accepting life on life's terms. Like a couple weeks ago, I picked radical acceptance and that mm-hmm. it was, honestly, it was a turning point for me in life when I learned the concept of radical acceptance and it does, it absolutely takes practice. And part of how I sort of framed it when I was first learning how to practice radical acceptance was uh, actually framing it around the serenity prayer, which is grant us the serenity of mind to accept that which cannot be changed courage to change uh, the things we can and wisdom to know the difference. And so you know, it's one thing to accept things and just accepting things as a human is very hard. And so by following that with figuring out the things I couldn't change mm-hmm. and then the actions I could take that didn't involve imposing my expectations on other people, mm-hmm. that really helped me with the acceptance part. Because a lot of times acceptance is hard because it makes us feel helpless. Yeah. And so following that with, okay, what actions can I take sort of helped balance it. If expectations are something that you're struggling with, I, I really recommend learning how to practice radical acceptance. It, <laughs> I have so many uh, fewer like emotional outbursts and tantrums.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well,
2: I also think building on that idea, I think a lot of times as developers, you know, we feel sort of all, you know, all powerful because we can build things and put things on the internet and impact. Yeah, then we uh, make a
3: bug, and then we're the (laughs) lowest of the low. Right.
2: (laughs) But as a result, sometimes this means that I think when we're looking at ourselves, we're sort of putting ourselves um, in like at the center of the universe, and that's a lot of pressure, right? Because you're like, I'm the one that has to do this, right? I'm the one that has to learn everything, and more importantly, you feel the obligation to like figure it all out yourself. And especially when it comes to mental health, um you know there's still a stigma with this, and I can't um express this enough. like it's okay to have a therapist just because you have a therapist. It doesn't mean something like you don't need to have something tragic happen in your life or you know even um any sort of official mental disorder just to have a therapist. like therapists are great because a lot of times people talk about the tech bubble, right? and so you know, with all the feedback you get from Twitter or GitHub, like that's great. But one of the nice things about going to therapy, even if it's just a professional coach, right, that you just a one off, people do that all the time. It's just great to hear a third person's perspective on what you're going through. I know at one point in my career, I felt this need to get validated by, you know, getting hired by one of the big tech companies, Google, Apple, Facebook. And that was like, gonna, that's how I was going to validate myself. And I think the professional coach is like, it seems like you're looking a lot to these other companies to validate you with certificates and stuff. And that's how you're defining your self-worth. And that was one of those like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's a lot of power I'm handing over to these other people.
1: Yeah.
2: And so it's something to be careful of as you're, you know, you're working through your own journey.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
3: You, so, the word you said, oh. obligations, struck me. That feeling of obligations, I think, can also lead to people staying in jobs that... Are really toxic to their own mental health, which then becomes toxic to their physical health. And it just spreads throughout your entire life. Because, yeah, I know, like, there's this sense that your company would be lost without you, that, you know, you would be setting them back. But at the end of the day, you don't really owe them anything. (laughs) If they're unable or unwilling to provide a healthy environment for you, You don't owe them your mental health for Mm -hmm. their product. Like you said, we're the center of the universe. And I think that we have this really weird tendency to both like
2: inflate
3: our egos and deflate them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's
2: Very contradictory. It's
3: uh, it's the developer magic trick. (laughs) 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 And so, yeah, accepting that we're not everything and it's okay to get out of a bad relationship. They will find someone to replace you. They will. And we will go on. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're probably not even going to hate you. Let's see. Okay. Rage quit, which I mean, that might feel really good in that moment. You know, just like knocking stuff off of people's chests, Like I'm <laughs> out biatches. <laughs> <laughs> Later though, you're probably not going to feel amazing. And they're probably not going to like you very much. If you know, if you frame it as I need to seek new opportunities for my own growth, like if they hate you for that.
1: They're just not a good human being. So
2: (laughs) you really don't want
3: them
1: as a reference.
2: (laughs) You were never going to win anyways. Yeah.
1: It's really important to treat yourself like you are your own business. Because from a business perspective, if they didn't need you and the numbers didn't work out, they'd let you go. And they don't care about whether or not you're lost without them. Companies do that all the time. Mm -hmm. So since you're in a contract with a company you need to treat yourself like you're your own business. And if they, and what they're offering you isn't working out for you, then, you know, as long as you're cordial and considerate, if you leave to seek another opportunity, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You're just looking out for yourself. You're looking out for your own little brand and your own business. And that's it. Yeah, Do you better believe no that they would let go of you if they felt like they were being
3: harmed. Yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <So. laughs>
2: Yeah. And so speaking of that, for, you know, people newer in the field trying to break into it, you know, most of us, I think, are, I think they're called, what, uh, at-will employment. So both parties can end yeah. it at any point. For those newer, um, you know, be careful if someone tries to lock you into, like, an actual, like, one-year contract, where breaking it could be a big financial hit on you, especially when you're just starting out in your career.
3: That's really so, uncommon. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, And if, you, if you're even thinking that it might be a good fit, like, again, do, like, a couple-month contract. Like, let's see if it's a good fit. Before you sign up for something like that, because once you get stuck, it can be just hugely negatively impactful. So just be careful. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm curious for the both of you is how do you all stay inspired, right? You know, we're talking about trying to learn everything. I think we all have to remember that coding is actually a lot of fun, besides all the imposter syndrome and stuff. I mean, sometimes. (laughs) It's fun to create things, right? And so um, how do you two sort of keep that flame alive?
3: So, I did this thing where I joined a podcast. No, (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone should go out and do that. (laughs) Okay. But it'd be okay. But in all honesty, being on this podcast does help me stay inspired because I get to connect with people doing things in my same realm, but that are very different from what I do. And so I I can sort of see the the possibilities with my skill set. But I also got a similar effect from just listening to podcasts and listening to other people's stories. I guess uh, the key is other people.
2: <laughs> How about you, Elizabeth?
1: I totally agree with that. So as far as getting inspired, it almost 100% comes from other people. And now that I say that out loud, that sounds kind of bad, but I, no, I do have it a does, I inside said it too. inside yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally well, fine. Things like meetups, building communities, uh, talking to people who are getting into the field, And if you are so interested in being a developer or being a front-end developer or learning CSS and things that I'm, I'm really passionate about, makes me see the beauty of those technologies and makes me want to go explore them more on my own time and things like that. So definitely meeting with other people helps me realize how much I love being a developer and talking to other people, being on this podcast, listening to other podcasts, like Ari was saying, and coming up with side projects, which... Also, I will say, I am not a side project person. Like you said, Ari, I create <laughs> side projects and then I abandon them. I'm a serial side project abandoner. Okay, so, but um, you at least start them.
2: <laughs> no, what's worse I is guess- buying domain names that you're never, ever going to use. There's like a <laughs> like,
3: hundred of them. <laughs> I have to say, like so many people like post memes about that, like on Twitter. And I'm just like, I am so glad I can't relate.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad for you too. <laughs>
3: Save me a lot of money.
2: <laughs> I've wasted a lot of money.
3: Because <laughs> no, like here's the thing. If I started side projects, I would absolutely do that. Like absolutely. So it's hard not to. It's kind of the yeah. first step, but because you're like, oh, oh you just- that's a really oh I love that. Yeah, I better, I better reserve that. Because if I finish this and it's not available, like whew.
1: Yeah. Then it's all over. It's a useless yeah. project. <laughs> I'd be interested to know which domain names you have then. Yeah, tell us more. (laughs) I'll I'll,
2: I'll open up Namecheap. And if Eli Fitch is listening, I blame Eli Fitch for starting me down this (laughs) It's your fault, Eli.
0: (laughs) No, I kid. I should
3: at least reserve my own name as a domain name. and Yeah, I haven't done that. Because, oh yeah, full confession, I don't even spend my free time on a portfolio site. What?
2: (laughs) <laughs> That's how good you are. You don't need a portfolio. People just want to work with you.
3: Yeah. Or I, I've managed to get a job without it and I just stay there because uh, finding another one is terrifying. <laughs> and I might have to actually like make a portfolio and update my, my resume. And I'm just getting anxious thinking about it.
2: <laughs> All right. So, some random donate names I had. Uh, I had. <laughs> C- codechef.io, where I had this idea for like a code academy where you learn how to nice. cook cooking.
3: <laughs> Honestly, that's, like, that, that's a solid domain name. Yeah.
2: Um, oh, gosh. I have like viewis.fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, my um,
1: God.
2: Victoria and I, we came up with the idea for view pets, like Neo pets, but <laughs> <view centers. laughs> again, nothing's happened yet. <laughs> Just random stuff like
1: that. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Uh,
3: I love you so is fun. That's incredible. Well played. Well played.
2: Yeah, I just need to do something with it now.
3: <laughs> or you could just like sell it to someone.
1: Because I feel like a couple of those, you could sell eventually. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, one other thing um, that yeah. helps me stay inspired. And this sounds kind of lame, but it actually works for me. Do... Find a crazy tutorial and do it. So a tutorial that uses these, you know, new technologies that, you know, you're saying, Ari, it seems like everybody's using, but you have no idea what they are. Find (laughs) something like that. Find a really, a really nuts CSS tutorial and do something cool with that. And just show yourself what you can do. Yeah, you copied all the code from some article that told you how to do it, (laughs) but you still did it. And now you know how. And so... That kind of thing inspires me. Just looking at other people's portfolios, looking at other people's websites, I love doing that. I have one of them Doesn't today give you one imposter of my six. syndrome. Because oh man, that that That's just <laughs> exacerbates my imposter syndrome. It it does it does, but in a good way. It's kind of like you know, it, I guess maybe it, it matters what
3: motivates you.
1: Because like yeah, I'm the type of
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm going to sound awful admitting this. I'm the type of person where I really I'm competitive. I like being the best at things. And so like when it feels like there's zero hope of ever being the best, it's something I'm just like, well, I don't even care about this anymore. It was dumb to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I think looking at like
1: really advanced stuff, it just makes me feel bad about myself. <laughs> it does. It does make me feel bad about myself, but it also shows me what, the, what I could do if I yeah. were better. So, I'm, I'm starting me. to come around to the, that mentality because I mean,
3: the reality is in our profession, no one will ever be the best.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
3: impossible. Everyone will always have a, a different set of complementary skills. That's why we have teams. <laughs> but yeah, like, I look at stuff like Sarah Drasner makes. So I'm just like, uh, life goals. But yeah, <laughs> not there.
2: <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side of that, for side projects, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know what to do for side projects. And so I think it was Sarah Vieira who was like, just build stupid stuff. It's all time we try to think of like the perfect project that like, you know, millions of developers would use. And like, no, just build stuff. Like if you have a fandom right now, you're really obsessed with like a TV show, like build a wiki page. It doesn't matter if Wikipedia exists already. Like do what's fun for you. Build like a, a matching game. Build, And more importantly, like it doesn't matter if someone else has already done it. This is actually really common with writers too. You always try to write something brand new, totally novel. Yeah, everyone's basically done some variant of something else. But sometimes the, the coolest projects are just random ideas that someone did, and they just threw it out there, and then it just caught on. But if it had never made that quote-unquote stupid idea, it wouldn't have existed. And it's just some thoughts for how you might do your own side projects if you decide to do it.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in mind, Ben. Now. <laughs> 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 right what after just, I buy the domain name. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, like, I'd love to see, Ari, like, all the different games that you've played. If I could take, like, a JSON of that and, like, maybe do, like, an infograph oh, yeah, of, like, really? showing, like, I don't know. I, I feel like there okay. could be some really fun stuff we could do with that. <laughs> yeah. Like, one of the things I decided to do is um, I have a page where I try to keep, like, stuff I've blo- like, watched, like, a media log. Oh, and right now it's just, like, a straight, like, yeah, like, very simple markdown file. But I'm, like, I'm going to turn that into JSON and just, like, use D3 to, like, calculate, like, easily, like, how much time I spent watching TV a month or, like... <laughs>
3: don't do that. I feel like that might be a really depressing revelation. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Or maybe I'm projecting, but.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I I just kind of want to, again, but it's like stupid stuff that like, it doesn't matter if no one else ever sees it, if it's ever like, no one's going to, you know, but it's like do stuff that you think might be fun. And I think um, for those who want to do that project, that's a good way to go. I want to
3: say it was Chris, who I heard on an episode before my time, said, uh, build something that you want to share with someone you care about. Mm. So usually that's going to be like, you know, some sort of like common interest or just, I mean, if it's say like a parent, they're going to be proud of you no matter what. So you can basically build (laughs) anything. (laughs) Unless you have a terrible relationship with your parents or they're dead. Sorry.
2: (laughs) No, but that's true though. Um, Yeah. I was going to go into a whole thing about destructive UX, but then that's a totally separate topic. <laughs> Wait, what is that? It, what,
3: yeah, what's
2: that?
1: destructive UX?
2: So, it's this, Ari, actually, I'm really glad you caught yourself, because it's one of those things where when you design a feature, but you often forget about the, well, okay, So the UX designers are probably going to, I'm probably thinking of something else, but it's the idea where you <laughs> often forget to account for a use case. So, in the instance of, oh, the, yeah. the, the best example of this is Facebook Memories, where you're like, hey, remember a year ago, mm-hmm. you are friends with someone, they try to do all your, like, and so, in general, you think that's a really great feature. That's really nice that they automatically create. Oh uh,
3: yeah, no, okay. unless your mom died and yeah. It, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, there's all these things where like we often make assumptions. Where like Father's Day is a great example, where you know, where everyone says, "Oh, Father's, but like there are people who have terrible relationships with their dads or don't. Their dad isn't around, and so it makes these people feel terrible. And you're like, "So, what are you and your dad doing today?" And then it's like, then yeah. you put them in such an awkward position.
3: So I have absolutely crazy. had that exact experience. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's hard, though. I'm not saying you have to tiptoe around everyone, but it's just good to be conscious of those things that, like, you know, we make a lot of assumptions and sometimes the language we use. And so I thought it was good that you caught yourself that, to your point, not everyone has parents who might care or...
3: No, the worst part is I was literally describing my situation. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I was like, oh, uh, yeah, about that. <laughs>
2: Well, we love you, Ari, and we are proud of everything (laughs) you you do, so you can always show us.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good times. Dysfunctional families, woo! (laughs) Actually, I feel like that we're talking so much about how, you know, our jobs affect our mental health, but our families do too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like uh, you were saying, Ben, whether they were explicit expectations or not, the expectations that you've felt that were imposed on you your whole life. What are some strategies for dealing with that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I remember when, uh, when I started at my coding boot camp, they had us write letters to people who are a huge part of our lives saying that we weren't going to be very present for the next six months. Wow. And, yeah. No, like, I, I really loved my instructors there. They were so thoughtful oh. because, yeah. Setting those expectations for your loved ones based on what you're actually capable of delivering at that time, like they were just trying to set us up for success by like taking pressure, external pressure, off of us. Have you guys had any experiences with things like that where either you should have set boundaries and didn't or successfully set boundaries? Because that's super rare. <laughs> at <least> for me. <laughs> actually, boundaries in general, boundaries with coworkers, etc. Because I feel like boundaries are, it's one of those things we don't talk about a lot in terms of mental health, but it's, it's key.
2: (laughs) It is, it is very important. Like,
3: you know, we were, we're talking about how Ben has a hard time saying no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So growing up first generation, you know, my parents were immigrants and came here with nothing. And so they managed to build this whole life for themselves. So there's this, again, they don't put this pressure explicitly on me, but I feel that I need to do more, right? Like they had nothing and they did all this. So I naturally have to do like 10 times what they've accomplished. And so um, as far as boundaries go, I think a lot of it for me has been learning more about other people's stories. So it's, again, not keeping my story so central to my identity. You know, not everyone has the ability to necessarily travel around as much as I have. But, you know, this is where I think reading or just watching documentaries, like whatever your form of content consumption is, just willing to take things from different perspectives and learning about uh, things that other people are going through always helps to really put perspectives, uh, put things in perspectives for me, you know, and also, yeah, just trying to, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a balance. I definitely haven't solved it. There's always it ebbs and flows for sure.
3: What? You're not perfect at life, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so shocked, Ben. I thought of all people. Actually, I would have thought of all people. <laughs> but Who it's good it, to know you're not that, perfect either. <laughs>
2: It's the whole clown effect, right? Like the people you're like, yeah. expect to be so super happy you have a lot of other problems.
3: Oh yeah, I do. No, because like, uh, I'm sure listeners have noticed, I laugh a lot and I'm very energetic, but the reality is I suffer from clinical depression. You probably wouldn't have guessed that, but I do. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward.
2: <laughs> no, I think it's important to open up about these things and just this I is do too, like- yeah people go through these things. And again, it, just because you're not, and I don't want to invalidate others too, like just because you don't have a, an official diagnosis doesn't mean you're not going through your own problems.
3: Yeah, and, and the reality is so many people go undiagnosed um, there you go, exactly with right. significant mental health issues. Yeah. Yep. Because somehow, you know, I think a lot of people maybe know that there is something there, but having, an official label put on it can be extremely overwhelming. I absolutely had that experience when I was diagnosed with a mental illness when I was 18. And, you know, like I always knew I was weird, but, (laughs) but like, yeah, like to having this label slapped on you, like it makes you feel less you because yeah, people have these inaccurate expectations of what mental illness looks like for people and so you think that as soon as you have that label on you like yourself <laughs> that people are going to view you through this different lens so right. for me it's i wish that i felt comfortable you know it, i wish it was a detail of my life that i felt comfortable like sharing off the bat with people but mm-hmm. i feel this need to have people frame their opinion of me before before adding that layer and that, to me, like, I often feel a bit hypocritical because of that because I'm, you know, I'm all like, oh, we need to you know, stop the, me- the stigma around mental illness. But it's really hard because inevitably we're human and we want to connect with other humans and we don't want to take actions that will prevent people from maintaining connections with us.
2: hmm yeah, I think in today's culture, it's really, we want to be binary about everything. Like you're either this or that. And so to your point, like labels, we often take that and consume an entire person's identity in that one label. Yeah, you're a developer. You have clinical depression. And I think a, a global thing that's been going on a lot in this episode is that everything is just a part of a bigger whole. Yeah. And the, the more you can to avoid trying to treat something as a whole and just a, it's a part of a person, part of the story, part of their journey. Um, I think it helps reduce, you know, assumptions, judgments, and just pressure in general. Because I mean, to your point about, you know, depression, there, there are people with seasonal affective disorder, but that comes in ebbs and flows. So someone might never think to ever get diagnosed because sometimes it's a problem. Sometimes yeah. it's not, mm-hmm. right? So, For
3: uh, people who suffer from bipolar disorder, sometimes they are super productive, everything's going great. And then sometimes they're this completely... At, different person and yeah that can be hard because you're like well like I don't even know how to describe how I feel because honestly depending on when you go to the doctor what you tell them could be totally different (laughs) 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 not that I have any experience with that (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think something that's another important thing to talk about is you know not all of our listeners will suffer from mental illness though If I'm being honest, I think developers have a higher rate of (laughs) mental illness than most other industries, just saying, but not all of them. So what are some ways that you guys find can be helpful, either from people supporting you or positive experiences that you've had supporting other people through difficult times? And like, what, yeah, what does being supportive even look like? Because I know for me, sometimes supportive is being
1: there. Sometimes supportive is leaving me alone, (laughs) So for me, supportive is also well, i have, I have OCD, so that's a little bit different. But it definitely hey, you you're still in the club. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely comes into dev stuff a lot. So I am like extremely overly paranoid about everything that I code, which is actually sometimes a good thing because it helps me catch stuff. But yeah, you know, I'll just double I'll double check things, you know, ten times to the point where it's in, it's just completely irrational. And like, before <laughs> I feel so weird telling the whole world about this, but before I go to bed at night, a lot of times I'll open up my computer and double check that I didn't accidentally merge anything. Even though I'm like, I never even touched my computer since I got home. I and I'm it, like, though. What if I just forgot about it? You know? Uh, so I'll check that. My partner will be, he'll be like, what? You know, if I get out of bed at 1030 or 11 o'clock, because I'm like, oh, I forgot to check. He'll be like, you, you know, you don't need to do that. What are you doing? And he's so confused. And he doesn't even he doesn't really know what, what I'm doing. So from his perspective, just being there for me and not judging me or asking too many questions helps me a lot in terms of the people I work with. I don't think there's really anything they could do to help me besides, I don't know, not ask questions. <laughs> Um, I mean, no one really knows about it. No one would, unless they observed what I was doing really closely. And most of my support just comes from myself, you know, telling myself and having a label actually, while it's, it does add a sort of departure from my self identity, having a label is actually a little bit relieving because I can say to myself, this is not, you know, rational. This is not me. This is a disorder that I have. That's, causing me to have these sort of paranoid thoughts. And so yeah, so it helps me to sort of think that way. It helps me to um, not judge myself too harshly for how I'm feeling and the things that I'm doing. And it also helps me to have, in a way I sort of have an appreciation for the disorder because like I said, sometimes I kind of need it. You know, a lot of times I make really stupid mistakes. A lot of times I'll leave the stove on and I go back because of OCD to check it every single morning and well, they, sometimes I'll catch myself. No, I am so, you've like
3: validated it. <laughs> so i validated
1: it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just try not to be too hard on myself. Yeah. That's really it for that kind of disorder. I can't speak towards, you know, other mental health issues that people have. So what do you think, Ari? So like,
3: I always want to believe that there's some magical workplace where like they have it all figured out, like how to support employees with mental illness. Then the other side, I'm like, but (laughs) A, it's something that's super uncomfortable to talk about in in the context of work. Like even when it's in the moments where it can absolutely affect work, like I also have ADHD. I'm just a bag of fun. Let me tell you. (laughs) Uh, No, and so yeah, like all of my disorders absolutely will have an impact on my work at one point or another. And it can be really hard like saying that you need support.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I guess all I can hope is that like a newer generation of like leaders and managers will come up and there will be like explicit policies around, you know, mental health and resources and what, you know, burnout time off looks like. But until then
1: (laughs) it's super awkward to have to talk about it with your manager. Well, I will say going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, having sick days that you can take as wellness days is such a, such a tremendous help. I'm really lucky to have that where I work, where I can just say, yeah. you know what, I need to work from home today. No questions asked. Or yeah. I'm sick today. I, I can't come in. I don't feel well. And no questions asked. That's that's really helpful in behalf of the, the workplace. And I also think that like, that's in the best interest of your employer
3: because that's the type of thing that helps prevent burnout. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And a burned out employee is a not productive employee. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wish there were more managers that were like very open about, you know, sick days are meant to be used for mental and physical health. (laughs) Mm And I know some managers do that, but I also think that, you know, we're in a traditionally male dominated industry. And so there's at least some amount of toxic masculinity that sort of frames the expectations. And, you know, I'm a macho man. I don't have feelings. Just kidding. (laughs) I feel like I could have pissed a lot of people off with that one. I was being facetious mostly.
2: For those who don't know, I actually have... My background is actually trained in psychology. So I lean a little bit more on the support side of things. And so one of the reasons I actually didn't go into counseling because I feel like I do a lot of it for my family and my friends. So I was like, I don't need to do that for my nine to five. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, for those wondering how to provide support, a lot of it actually is as we get older, I think it's very common to frame things based on your past experiences and your personal ones. And the problem with this is you're basically setting a bunch of assumptions on a person when you're it's no different than a doctor just hearing a couple symptoms and just assuming you have a sickness without really probing deeper as opposed to what's going really going on. And so rather than trying to fix someone's problems, which I think, especially as developers, we love getting in and fixing things. When it comes to mental health, it's not about getting in there and fixing it for them. Um, That's actually probably one of the worst things you can do for most people.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I'm like, I don't actually need to be fixed per se. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, you know, if if you notice that your coworkers is going through something, you know, to Ari's point, sometimes giving them space is the very thing they need. On the other hand, simply listening... Asking them questions, you know, letting them express what they're feeling is a really good way to just let the like in a non-judgmental space. You know, I always try to tell people when I'm in one-on-one situation that it's a safe space, it's never gonna leave this room. Tell me whatever you need. And so, you know, inquire, let them tell their story and don't again, it's like this whole theme this episode, like practice this with other people when you're out and about. Do not judge a, a sliver of an experience as their entire being. So if your server is being rude to you at a restaurant, for example, that doesn't make them a jerk. Like, yes, they might be having a really bad day, right? Maybe they're going through a divorce. They just got their kids taken away from them. Who knows what just happened? But reminding yourself that there is a bigger story at play and that we, don't, we will never know everything that's going on helps to prevent us from making snap judgment decisions, which is, I think is where a lot of conflict and just sort of misunderstanding comes into play. Because you just, you think you know what they're going through, but you don't. You don't. And I think that's the number one thing you can do is you don't know what's going on. So be empathetic, ask questions, and don't assume you know what's happening. And in doing that, I think you can, you'll end up finding, you'll customize the right way to help that particular person. And then every time it's a a new round, don't be like, well, I did this five times already, so it's going to be the same. No, even the same person going through the same experience it can be totally different. Don't make That's assumptions it. that it'll work the same way.
3: Ben, maybe you could speak a little bit to this. What are some signs that a coworker might be struggling? I'm going to go ahead and throw out unusual irritability because <laughs> been there, did that. <laughs>
2: To your point, like most people want to be collaborative. So if someone's feeling a little bit more withdrawn than usual, that's usually a good sign just to either just DM them on Slack or something. To be like, hey, is everything okay? And they say, it's fine, period. Like you can decide whether, you know, to probe a little bit more, give it some rest. We do this thing actually with our team green, yellow, red check ins. You know, try to like adopt that within your team mentality of letting mm-hmm. people just kind of let people know, like, hey, this week, how are you feeling? Like, you know, I'm yellow right now, you know, like my condo redesign is like, just let them. It actually gives anyone a small mental visual state of what a person is going through. And again, it depends on how close your team is and whether this is feasible. But I find that red, yellow, green check-ins are actually really good for teams in general. Explain
3: more about how that works. Okay. I'm super curious.
2: Yeah, yeah, so basically you have like your weekly kickoff. You know, right, you have your sprint like beginning of the week and you'll say, okay, red, yellow, green check in So I would be like, you know, this week I'm a bit yellow because I have a lot of deadlines. But also, you know, the condo renovation I had going on is kind of a mess you know, we thought things were gonna go well. So it's it's just a little bit stressful right now. So I'm yellow right now. And so that lets people know like, hey, like Ben has some stuff going on, but like it's not that he's checked out of work or anything. Cause I mean, if you're red, that probably needs you need to take some time off, and that's usually what we would obviously encourage. But it just gives a good way of just letting people basically you surface the fact that some stuff's going on in your life and just, you know, it helps actually I think it builds this team camaraderie.
3: Is there any sort of like expectation that if you are anything other than green that you elaborate on it or or can I, you just be I, like yellow?
2: I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could just say that. If this is something you're starting trying to introduce, obviously, I think it's important for the person taking the lead to probably overshare. And, and when I say overshare, you know, just like yeah, yeah. You feel comfortable knowing that it's okay to share things without feeling like they're going to be penalized for it or judged for it. Like someone's going to be writing this down somewhere and being like, ooh, yeah, Ben's been yellow for a few weeks now. Like, mm, this is. But, I,
3: but okay, actually, I was sort of curious <laughs> about that. Like, if somebody, if yeah, if someone is like reporting yellow, like for many weeks in a row, th- does that ever flag for like a manager to be like, hey, just wanted to check in?
2: <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, hopefully your managers do have like one on ones. Those are great ways to check in. Even when I didn't have that at certain teams, I would just make a point to reach out to my coworkers to be like, hey, you want to get coffee sometime? And then they've been yellow for a little while just to see how they're doing, see what's going on. But again, more importantly, sometimes it's helpful to separate it out. So I'll be like, I'm green work-wise, right? Like deadlines are working well, a little bit yellow personal life, you know, just got stuff going I like that. That way it helps just to separate that out a little bit. But But wait, but
3: then like the next week, if you don't do that and you're just like yellow, they're like, oh, he's yellow with work
2: too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so normally for those wondering, yellow for work usually means that you have more blockers than you thought or more bugs came up than you expected. And that should be expected that your colors will fluctuate over time.
3: Could it also signal that you have unrealistic deadlines
2: or? Sometimes. And it's important for engineering managers to then manage that expectation. But maybe for this week, instead of like, you know, five points of tickets, take the three, see how you're feeling. But uh, yeah, I think empathy is really key for managing this.
1: That
3: sounds like a really awesome system.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea because it would help me understand how to approach people in my team. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times I try to be really, really conscious of, you know, asking people questions or bothering people for stuff because I just don't know what they're going through. And a lot of times I think I over-exaggerate what they might be going through, you know, if someone's moving or has issues with like a renovation, like you're saying, and I would just not ask them anything. And yeah. it's good to know if they're, if they're feeling good, if they're, you know, wanting to be approached at the current time, you know, for yeah. this or that reason, or if they're not. And so that way I can respect how they're feeling.
3: Cause yeah, it's super fun when like you go to ask like a coworker or even a superior, a question and they just like pretty much bite your head <laughs> off and you're like, is it me or is it them? Right. Yeah, and then like you spend the rest of the day like, does he hate me? <laughs> but yeah, no, like having like a heads up of like maybe, maybe unless it's absolutely necessary, leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's a just a generally good way to frame interactions on a team. Gives some insight because yeah, like you said, you never. <laughs> For the most part, you never know what someone's going through. But I like yeah. that that's a way to sort of change that dynamic and give right. some insight so that you can adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. Now I want to quit my job and work somewhere else. No, I'm just kidding. Love, <laughs> love my job. <laughs> I hope that some listeners at least like, hear that and try to implement that at their own work. That would be so awesome.
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: Changing lives, Ben. Changing
2: <laughs> lives. <laughs>
0: We've been recording Ruby Rogue since 2011, and we've talked to a lot of people who have had a really deep influence, not only on the programming community, but also on the Ruby community. And as we've talked to these people, it's become apparent to me that we talk a lot about the things that make them interesting that they've done, but we don't really get into how they got into programming or how they came up in their career, how they got to be the person who invented whatever library or, or technique that they came on the show to talk about. And so I put together a show where we actually highlight these things. We talk to them about how they got into programming. We talk to them about how they got into Ruby, maybe how they got into Rails. We get a little bit deep into what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. And then we talk about what they're working on. We talk about the things that make them well-known or make them interesting. And a lot of times, it's the stuff that goes beyond the code that really makes these people tick and makes them the kind of people that we want to hear about. And so I put together a show called My Ruby Story. You can find it at myrubystory.com. And it's where I interview these people and just get the stories of these people and how they came into programming. So if you want to hear inspirational stories or get ideas on how you can actually advance your career, then go check it out at myrubystory.com.
1: Should we move on to picks? I think so. Okay. Ari, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, Okay. So my pick this
3: week is a limited series on Netflix called Unbelievable. Content warning. It's intense. I would say in the vein of like True Detective. And I would say in terms of content, more in the vein of season one, if you're familiar. So just be aware of that. If sexual assault is something that triggers you, you do not want to watch this at all. I'm not going to give too much away, but amazing acting in it and just a really great example of two very different but very strong women making sure that other women get justice.
1: So, yeah, that's my pick. Unbelievable. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. And Ben, do you have picks for us this week?
2: Yeah, I got three picks this week. First of which I just got back from Cream City Code, which is a local conference out in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so, I had a chance to go out there and uh, you know check out the Cheese City and all that stuff, and it was a lot of fun. So a big shout out to um the organizers there for doing such a fantastic job. Um, for those looking for a conference out there, Green City was a lot of fun. highly recommend it. And my second pick's related to that because as part of the conference, there was Steve Aoki came and did like a live performance. So I've been listening to a, a bit of Steve Aoki, and so for those who don't know, that's uh, he does a decent amount of EDM stuff, but he has some. Uh, mainstream stuff as well, with like BTS and a couple of other artists. And my final pick is Abstract, which is a Netflix documentary um, on like design. Came out with season two recently, and so I just watched the second episode. Ian Spalter, who was the digital product design for um, Instagram's redesign, and so it was really fascinating getting to see the behind the scenes of what it took to take Instagram from its early days into what everyone knows it now. And the decisions that kind of go into it. There's even a really great part where we get introduced to the person who basically invented Infinite Scroll. And it's funny because he's like, yeah, that's the one thing I'm probably gonna have to atone for like the rest of my life.
3: Cause I know <laughs> <what I'm laughs> yeah.
1: do.
2: And just, it was just interesting to hear designers talk about like the importance of having a stopping point with, you know, like Infinite Scroll, it seems like a good idea at first but then the user can never stop anymore, right? It's like this. And he's like, I invented this thing that has wasted millions of human hours' lives right? because people just keep going through it. Anyways, so uh, it's super relevant to our field. So highly recommended. if people want to check it out. And those are my picks.
1: That is awesome. I'll have to check that one out too. I've got some Netflix to catch up on. Okay, and I have two picks this week. The first one is a portfolio I found on Code Drops um, and the person who made it is called Domenico BRZ. I think BRZ is an abbreviation for his last name. But the portfolio is um, DomenicoBRZ.github.io. And it's really, really cool. And the cursor is legendary. Oh, legendary. Check it out. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah really right. legendary. Cool.
2: It's really cool.
1: And uh, the next pick I have is the View 3 cheat sheet on ViewMastery.com. You can just go on there and download a free Vue 3 composition API cheat sheet. And Vue Mastery has really nice cheat sheets. They're really easy to read, they're really well laid out. So if you want to get a little look at that, go ahead and download it. I did, and it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. And that's it for this episode of Views on View. Thank you for joining us. Until next week, enjoy the view.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.